like I said, we're going to spend the rest of the summer in the book of Psalms, which is going to be 10 or 11 weeks or so. And so I want to start, if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, our worship pastor, Brian Bliss, did a really, really good job of talking to us about what worship is. And he defined worship as an all of life response to who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what he will do in the future. The key part of that definition is all of life response. That worshiping the Lord is all of life, meaning in all the things that you do, in all the seasons of life or circumstances that you might encounter, in all of the relationships that you're in, the vocations you take up, the neighborhoods you live in, the churches you attend, that you give all of your life in responding to the reality of who God is and and what he's doing and, and what he will do in the future and what he's done in the past. Worship, Brian did a really good job of bringing out, isn't an action primarily. It's an attitude, and it's an attitude that should be pervasive in our lives that trickles its way into everything that we do. And Psalms is the worship book of the Bible, if you will, I want to give you just a few general things about the book of Psalms before we jump in. It's a book of poetry. So whereas we just finished doing uh, the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we took that line by line, and there's kind of a logical flow to the argument, Psalms, each individual psalm, is more of a right-brained exercise than a left-brained exercise. Because you've got to look at them holistically, you don't necessarily track through them line by line. You step back, you read the whole thing, you step back and you say, what are the key things that are coming out here? What is the psalmist trying to draw my attention to? And so we'll do that. Uh, we'll step back and try to look at the key themes that exist within there. Psalms were meant to be sung, like I said. Um, some of them were sung multiple times a day. Some of them were used on certain occasions, but all of them were to be lifted to the Lord in praise. And in song, in fact, as you flip through psalms and you read various ones, oftentimes there are instructions for whether it's the instrumentation or how the psalm is to be performed or how it's supposed to work. And you'll see those oftentimes right at the top uh, of the chapter when you get to a new psalm. About half of them were written by David. The other half are by uh, various authors written at various time periods. My favorite thing about the book of Psalms is that there's no pretending in the book of Psalms. We live in a very sterilized, suburban, Western culture where we feel like whatever's going on at home at, say, you know, 9.45, 10 o'clock, by the time you get to the church building has got to be totally fixed. Whatever screaming is happening in the car on the way over, whatever argument is taking place, when you step out of the car into the parking lot and then into the lobby of the church, We operate with this mentality that all of that has got to cease to exist. We have to pretend like that's not real life. Psalms are the exact opposite. In fact, oftentimes in Psalms, you will see the rawest of human emotion. It's one of my favorite things about the book of Psalms. We do not have to pretend. We can be fully honest with the Lord. We can lay totally bare the truth of our emotions before the Lord, and in fact, are encouraged to do so. Uh, Instead of seeing, you know, people dress themselves up for the sake of appearances or trying to put on this veneer of perfection, what we see in the book of Psalms are just the reality of people's hearts laid bare before the Lord. We get to see this full range of human emotions. The Psalms can be incredibly instructive for us. 
In fact, they can teach us a lot. They can teach us about who God is. Some of the most beautiful descriptions of God's character are found in the book of Psalms. They tell us all about who the Lord is. Psalms tell us about who we are. Oftentimes, when you read in the book of Psalms, you will see something that strikes you as incredibly out of whack, if you will. In fact, you can read a number of Psalms where David says, Lord, I wish you would kill this person. That's a paraphrase. But that is exactly what he's driving at. There's this person who is wrongly chasing me, wrongly wants to harm me, uh, is attacking me for no reason, and Lord, it would be better if you would kill him. And that should strike us in the midst of reading the Psalms. Instead, we read them and we kind of gloss over that, like, oh, the Bible doesn't mean that. No, David absolutely meant that. (laughs) David absolutely wanted that person to no longer exist. And if a lightning bolt from heaven was what took the person out, David would have been okay with it. And we, we read that, and we should see within ourselves the capacity to feel similar ways. You may not ever vocalize it that way, You may not have someone that's literally chasing you around a mountain like Saul was to David and trying to take your life, but there are times where you think to yourself, it would be easier if such and such person just didn't exist in my life any longer. They don't have to be dead. Maybe the Lord could call them to India, and they could just go to the other side of the world, and everything would be better. We should see within Psalms that a lot of the cries of these people are very, very similar to the things that exist within our hearts at at various points in life. Psalms tell us about how to worship the Lord in all of life's circumstances, any of them. We'll see as we go through the book of Psalms that we should be worshiping the Lord in the midst of difficult relationships. We should be worshiping Him when everything goes really, really well and according to plan. We should be worshiping Him when everything goes totally awry and the wheels totally come off the bus of life. We should be worshiping the Lord when we're triumphant, We should be worshiping the Lord when we're incredibly disappointed. And there's psalms that point to all of those various states and stages of life. Lastly, psalms tell us about who Jesus is. Psalms represent the heart cry of God's covenant people. That's one way uh, I saw it described. God's covenant people in the Old Testament here were the Israelites, the Jewish people. But psalms now represent the heart cries of God's covenant people in the New Testament age, who are people who have placed their faith in Christ. They show cries of hearts that just long to be in the presence of the Lord. Listen to the way that the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible talks about this. It says, A full understanding of the Christ focus of the Psalms must understand what these 150 poems are, namely the heart cries of God's covenant people. They cry to him for forgiveness, out of lament, with praise, with thanksgiving, to exult in God's law, to express confidence, and to recount the merciful dealings of God with his people throughout history. In all these ways, we see the hearts of God's people laid bare before him in song. Yet as believers, on this side of Christ's coming, we must understand that Jesus fulfilled all such cries to God. Jesus is God's definitive answer to the cries of his people. So what is this series all about? What are we trying to do? We want to take various psalms from various genres over the course of the summer and see how they apply to our lives today. I want us to look at scripture in the psalms and ask ourselves the following question. When my heart cries this thing, 
How do I worship the Lord? When I'm in this season of life and my heart is crying this thing, how do I respond to God for who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do? We're also going to get the chance to answer a few questions as we go about studying each of these psalms over the next few weeks. We're going to get to answer the question, what unique opportunity do I have to learn about God in this season of life? What unique opportunity do I have to learn about myself in the midst of of this season of life? And what unique opportunity do I have to learn about Christ in the midst of any given particular situation in life? Some of these might resonate more closely with you than others. We might look at one of these Psalms and you say, gosh, I am right in the midst of that kind of experience. My heart is crying that thing. We might do another one and you say, "Uh, I'm not there now, but gosh, I have been there. And so we wanted to put together Uh, opportunities for you to continue to engage with these themes throughout the week. So every week in your bulletin, you're going to get the little card that you got there this morning. They'll also be available out at the Welcome Center. It's going to list three, four, five psalms that are about the same theme as what we're talking about on any given morning so that you could take those and use them throughout the week. You could continue to kind of soak in the psalms and allow them to minister to you to continue to uh, illuminate what it looks like to worship the Lord in the midst of any given season. We encourage you to take those, to engage with those. Um, If you want extras, like I said, there's some out at the Welcome Center. So we're going to begin by looking at Psalm 145 and what it looks like to worship God when we're in the midst of times of praise, which sounds redundant, but hang with me as we go here this morning. I'm going to read this start to finish. It's 21 verses. Psalm 145 says this, I will extol you, my God and King. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They will speak, or they shall speak, of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all, the, all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. I want to give you just a couple of pieces about this psalm in particular. It's the last psalm of David. The the next five are written by different authors. It's got 21 verses, and we lose this in the translation, but it's actually an acrostic with the Hebrew alphabet. The beginning of every verse begins with the next letter of the alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so one gets left out, the noon. I'm not sure why that one drew the short stick, but David chose not to include it. Unfortunately, we we just missed that in our English translation. This is the only psalm 
that has the instructions or the tag up at the top that says a psalm of praise. Out of all 150, this is the only one that gets that description up at the top. And like I said earlier, a faithful Jewish person would have sung this three times every day, twice in the morning when they started their day and once in the evening. Here's what I want us to see as we go about breaking this down this morning. I want us to see that when we're in times of praise, we need to commit to a life of praise. We need to commit to it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just point out four things here that jump out of the text at us about what that looks like and what it means. The first is this. When it's time to praise the Lord, take the time to praise the Lord. Think back to the last time you had a sore throat or a stuffy nose. Think back. Right before the sore throat or the stuffy nose began, did you ever just stop and think to yourself, I just love when it feels good to swallow? You take a big bite of a hamburger and you just think, ah, it goes down with no pain and it's so wonderful. Or you're breathing normally and you just take a nice deep breath in and you think, it's so nice when air flows through my nostrils unobstructed. No, what happens is that you get a sore throat and you're swallowing and it feels like someone's shoving a steel wool pad down your throat every time you, you swallow. And you think to yourself, if I could just be pain free, I would never take swallowing for granted again. And then 30 minutes after the sore throat's gone, you totally forget. Or you lay down to go to bed, and you've got one of those annoying stuffy noses that's switching sides. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And you lay down, and you think to yourself, if I could just breathe regularly, I would never take regular breathing for granted again. And then you wake up the next morning, no more stuffy nose, and you don't even think about it again. Unfortunately, our interaction with praising the Lord is incredibly similar. We don't think much about him when everything is just going normally. Instead, when something goes awry, we think to ourselves, Lord, if you would just fix this, if this could just be better, which is an okay prayer to give. The emotion there is real and it's fine. But we say to ourselves, if you would just fix this, Lord, I would, then I would praise you and I wouldn't forget it because I would know your goodness to me. And the situation clears up or life moves on or a season passes and and things are a little bit better and we go right back to forgetting. We go right back to not paying attention. Look at the way God is described throughout this psalm. His greatness is unsearchable. That's verse 3. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's 8. He's righteous in all of His ways. That's 17. He's kind in all his works. It's also verse 17. The thing about those descriptions is that God is all of those things all the time. He's all of those things when you string together 10 days of just normal days. When you come home every night and somebody says, hey, how was your day? And the only thing you can think to say is fine. It was, it was fine. I woke up, I did what I do, and I'm going to bed. God is abounding in steadfast love. He is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He is, his greatness is unsearchable. On those days, in the same way as the day that you come home and you've had some huge triumph and something incredibly amazing has happened and then you, you think God is, his greatness is unsearchable. He's abounding in steadfast love. Look at how good he is to me. But he's also all of those things when everything goes totally awry. 
which means that the appropriate time to praise the Lord in response to who He is is all the time. Not a day should go by that we don't praise the Lord because of who He is and what He's done. One of the primary challenges in following Jesus and living a life of worshiping God is knowing and trusting that your temporary circumstances don't change the eternal reality of God's character. Your temporary circumstances absolutely affect your current disposition, your emotional feelings at any moment, but they don't change the reality of who God is. And so no matter what we are experiencing, what we're going through, we ought to be in this posture of praise. I want you to consider one more thing as we move on, and that's that David wrote those words about who God is before Jesus. And maybe that sounds like not a big deal to you, but we read the Old Testament with a New Testament bias. And so when we read about God being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and gracious and merciful and his, uh, his gracious and merciful, his greatness being unsearchable, we say, yeah, of course, because of Jesus. David wrote those and knew that a Messiah was coming, but had no idea that this person, Jesus, was going to come and die on his behalf. And yet David could say, hey, all the time, forever and ever, I will praise you. We ought to be able to look back in light of what Jesus has done and see his work on the cross and say, I will praise you. We should be able to do that so much more. Listen to the way C.S. Lewis talks about this. He said, these poets knew far less reason than we for loving God. They did not know that he offered them eternal joy, still less that he would die to win it for them. Yet they express a longing for him, for his mere presence, which comes only to the best of Christians or to Christians in their very best moments. Yet all Christians know something the Jews did not know about what it cost to redeem their souls. In light of our knowledge of Jesus, all the time is the right time to praise the Lord. And so that's exactly what we should do. Here's the second thing. When it's time to praise the Lord, speak the Lord's praises. Look at the language throughout Psalm 145. One generation will declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and tell of your power. They shall pour forth. That has this image of like a fountain bubbling up and just overflowing over its sides. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. The repetition is intentional there, and it's purposeful. When we're really excited about something, we talk about it. We can't help but talk about it. You get a new hobby that you're really into, you want to tell other people about it. When you get a new favorite TV show, you want everyone to know about this new TV show that you're watching. When the Kansas City Royals were in the playoffs last year, we just wanted to tell everybody about it. If you had an out-of-town friend or something, I'm sure they said, enough with the Royals, I don't care. <laughs> Our enjoyment of something spontaneously boils into praise of that thing. That's who we are as humans. And yet often we quelch that within ourselves when it comes to the Lord. We're willing to enjoy Him silently, and that is a wonderful thing. We should spend quiet intimate moments with the Lord where inwardly our hearts are just praising him for whatever is going on in our lives. But we also cannot be ashamed of that boiling over into verbal praise. And I will be the very first one to say that it's far more likely for you to spend time around me and for me to be talking about 
some hobby or about something and praising it than it is for you to spend time around me and for me to just be boiling over with the praise of who God is and what he's done in my life. I'll be the very first one to admit that. In fact, I would go one step further and I would say that in the midst of my successes, I'm far quicker to give myself all the credit than I am to even acknowledge the Lord. And then in all of my struggles, I'm far too quick to push all of the blame onto God and absolve myself of any wrongdoing. And so in the midst of my successes and triumphs, God gets no praise because I'd rather give it to myself. And in the midst of my struggles and challenges, God gets no praise because I'd rather point fingers and play the blame game with him. And in the midst of my normal run-of-the-mill days, I just totally forget that the Lord is, is worth acknowledging for the fact that I just made it to work and home safely. I forget the Lord is worth all of the praise for the fact that I woke up breathing this morning. And yet, we should speak those praises unashamedly without being afraid that we might bore someone or without being afraid of what their reaction might be or without being afraid of sounding pretentious or something like that. All those reasons that stop us from doing that. When was the last time you vocally praised the Lord to someone? With your spouse or your family? When was the last time you just vocally praised the Lord as a small group or with an accountability partner or with someone that you mentor? And you just let those praises be heard and let them be known. The third thing is this. When it's time to praise the Lord, let your praise bring others to praise. Look again at a couple of things throughout this psalm. One generation shall commend your works to one another. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. If you were to read through the first five books of the Old Testament, particularly if you spent any time in Deuteronomy, you would see that it's actually a biblical mandate for an older generation to proclaim the greatness of God to a younger generation. And when the first five books there of the Bible talk about that, they're speaking of something in particular, that it was the job of older generations of Jewish people, of Israelites, to tell younger generations about this amazing experience they had in Egypt where God brought them out miraculously in all the plagues and they ran across the Red Sea totally dry so that their people would never forget that, so that the younger generations would be just as excited and impacted and in awe of God's awesomeness as the generation that experienced it firsthand. If you're a Kids Point leader and you teach class back there on Sunday mornings, not only should we be transmitting knowledge to the kids that we lead, but we ought to be doing it through a lens of praise. If you're a D group leader and you interact with a group of high school or middle school students, not only should you be transferring knowledge, but it should be happening through a lens of praise. If you're a small group leader, the same thing. If you're a parent, the same thing. John Piper says, our goal cannot be to stock the brains of others with thoughts about Jesus. The goal has to be for the head to provide tender for the fire of the heart. I want to take just a minute here and talk to dads. I know it's Father's Day, so I'm not going to weigh you down here. But I do want to issue issue you a charge or a challenge, and that's this. Are you the chief praiser in your family? As you interact with your kids, as you go about living your life as a father out in front of them, is one of the things that marks you the fact that of everybody in the house, you're the one that's praising the Lord most frequently 
most vocally, most passionately? Is that something that your children get to see and to witness? Or, on the flip side, do we spend more time just stocking our children's heads full of knowledge about this man who lived a couple thousand years ago and did some amazing things and went to the cross? You can speak of those things without praising them in any sort of way. Your children, our children, have got to see that we are infatuated with that. That what Jesus did there on the cross has completely, radically transformed your life and that you just want to praise him for it. That you are in love, literally, with him because of that. Of your majesty, every day I will praise thee, says David. If you're here and you're not a father because you're female or you're too young to have children, know that this is your responsibility as well for those you interact with, the people that you work with, the people that you uh, socialize with, your friends, your family as well, if there's, especially if there's not a father in your home. It's our responsibility to provide tender for the hearts of those around us so that our times of praise would draw others into praise as well. Here's the last one. When it's time to praise the Lord, recommit yourself to a life of praising the Lord. Look at the way the psalm begins and ends. Verse one, I will extol you, my God and King. Verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. At the beginning and the end, it's it's as if David is making this vow that I'm going to praise you. And sometimes we've got to be willing to make that vow and allow it to override our given emotional disposition at any moment. It doesn't mean you ignore your feelings or you pretend that they don't exist in response to your circumstances because they do. And as we'll see going through this series, that's okay. It is okay to give full vent to your range of emotions before the Lord. In fact, he's big enough to bear them and wants to. Yet at the same time, we've got to be willing to to enter into those emotions and make a commitment to praising the Lord in the midst of them. He deserves it. His character deserves it. His work through Jesus on the cross and throughout history deserves it. His work in your life deserves it. Knowing what's going to happen at the end of time when Jesus returns deserves it. And so you ask yourself, how do I do that? How do I make this sort of commitment? And it's right in verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Brian talked a lot about spending time in the Word. He talked about giving space in your life to spend time with the Lord that you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed. It doesn't have to be, you know, at a particular time that you spend time meditating on who God is, that you do that in the midst of trials and difficulties, that you do that when things are going really, really well, that you do it when it's just a normal, regular day. It doesn't matter. And that you remind yourself about the character of who God is. You remind yourself about what he did through Jesus on the cross, you remind yourself of his work in your life at this time. You remind yourself of what's going to happen in the future and that should reset you in all seasons of life into this state of praise. And then you speak it and you allow it to draw other people in and then the next day you recommit yourself again by spending time meditating on who God is. That's why it's so important to be in the word and in a community of people who can push you back in that direction. I want to leave us with one final quote. It's from William Plumer. He was, he's a commentator 
And on Psalm 145, he says this, It is the duty of some to rule and of others to obey, of some to teach and of others to learn, of some to abide at home and of others to go abroad. But it is the duty of all, in all ranks and conditions of life, to bless God's holy name forever and ever and to desire others to engage in the same noble work. I pray that we would be that kind of church that offers our praise to the Lord at all times in all conditions of life and desire for others to engage in the same lifestyle as us, that we would allow our praise to draw others into praise, that we would just commit ourselves to praising him at all times and in all stations and seasons of life. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll go. There'll be men from our men's ministry down here, fathers, who would love to pray with you uh, about being the chief praiser or about anything that might be going on in life. They'll be out in the MPA as well. If you want to pick up any more of those cards, they're out uh, at the Welcome Center. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship. God, to respond to who you are. Lord, thank you for your scripture and your word, God, that it instructs us how to praise you, how to commit ourselves to that kind of life. Lord, my prayer is that each and every one of us would spend time regularly meditating on who you are, spending time with you to remind ourselves what you've done and what you are doing and what you will do, Lord, and that that would always, regardless of our life circumstances, set us into a life of praise. Lord, would we be a church that praises you at all times? Would we be a church that isn't afraid to speak those praises into those around us? And would we be a church that desires to draw others into the midst of that praise alongside us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Father's Day.